Hey, welcome to Adventures in Angular, the podcast where we keep you updated on all things Angular related. This show is produced by two companies, Top and Devs and Envoy. Top and Devs is where we create top and devs who get top and pay and recognition while working on interesting problems and making meaningful community contributions. And Unvoid, which provides remote design and software development services on a performance basis. Clients only pay for delivered tasks. In today's episode, we have a very special guest. His name is Danny Paredes. Hi, Lucas. <laughs> Hello, Danny. And well, today, Danny is here with us, and we are going to be talking about UI libraries in Angular. So when should you use one? When should you just build it from scratch, build all your UI components from scratch? And also, which options are available? Because I think we're all familiar with Angular material because it's just wildly referenced in the Angular community, but that's not the only option. There are many others. I'm not going to paint myself or Danny as a know-it-all about every single UI libraries that exist. But um, from our experience, we may have had contact with some of them, and we can talk about um, the ones that we're familiar with, the ones that we liked. And of course, when, again, right? So when should you use one and when should you just, should you just build one from scratch? This is going to be the topic of today's episode. And yeah, Danny, let's get started. So what do you think about we start with the conceptual question of when, like which problems these libraries solve, which problems they create because it's not all good, right? And so the pros and cons, and then we can talk about when it makes sense to use them and when it doesn't. So from your point of view, uh, what would you say are the pros and cons of using a UI library? Which problems do they solve? Okay, Lucas. Um, first, you, you know, when as developer, when we work in a company uh, or we are building products, the speed is something very important to have. You need to deliver fast, but sometimes when you need to deliver fast, at the same time, you need to create everything the library, create your own library, is something that you need to take care of because you need to uh, maintain that code. It's not something that uh, you need to take as the first approach. In some scenarios, when from a, from, from a point of view, uh, create a library, help your team and your company to speed to time to market because, for example, you are me working in the in the same product, and you need to show a grid, a grid with all the list of data. If you create your own component, like create my own component, is with the money. So, when you take a decision, hey, I want to create a library. So, it's because you have something that is repeat around your application. If you are building a simple landing page, you don't need a library, of course. But if you have a product that has some component around the whole application is very important to you take a solution. Gotcha. So basically, um, if I'm going to be using the same thing in multiple places, then it makes sense to create my own components. Um, and is there a middle ground? Because 
I think there is this discussion about when to build your own components and when to use a UI library. Yeah. Um, I don't see many people, although I know that a lot of people are doing this, I don't see them very active on social media saying, just go with both, right? I'm pretty sure a lot of people are, um, they have custom components and they also use UI libraries for some part of some parts of their application. But if you look online, I see much more like people just going one way or the other. Um, but in practice, I think people can use both. But then if we were to use both, which problems would we have? Good question, Luca, because I, I can tell you, uh, I'm working with libraries for more than five years. In, the, in two companies, I'm working, oh, we want to create our own library. This is common that ah, the company wants to have its own brand and that kind of stuff. So in my current company, we're building our UI library. But when you create a library, you need to know what the responsibility you takes. Because uh, I have a post that where I'm talking about the, the common mistake that when you you create a library that you need to, to take care because, for example, the, the common point that I hear in every place is, oh, you need a design system. Oh, we need to create the atom. We need to create everything. But you have to deliver something to the market. <laughs> when you tell to, to manager, no, I need to spend the next three months building a grid or a placeholder or a form generator, they say, okay, but that probably needs to be launched in December. <laughs> Do you want for the summer or for December? So this is important to know. So, and also you need to take care about the design system, the how you deliver the, the your, your, your library. If you use NPM or you will host in your own, in your own repository, and also the flexibility that you need to create your components. So with all these points in your head, you say, okay, I will create my, my library, but I need to first create uh, one, this guy, I don't remember the name right now, but uh, I think, let me say, Bram Frost, if I'm not mistaken, the creator of Atomic Design. He create, he said that no, you need to have the interface inventory. You need to know what is the tool, the, the, the primary piece that you need for, for your, for the framework of your library. So instead to go to create the atom, the, the point, no, no, create the really you need because you need to deliver and get feedback from your, for your customer. That your customer are not the, the client is the, another domain that you have in your company that are using your library. And when you start to see that, you say, okay, this is a huge project. This is not something I will do in one week or two weeks. Create a library is something that takes time. If you want to that have a good ground to the library be extended in the future. I don't know if I answered your question, but this is a topic that I, I work a lot because I, I, take a, I did a lot of mistakes building, <laughs> a lot of mistakes. Using wrong tools, try to create the component with sometimes with too much flexibility, but you developers do whatever you want, but sometimes that's break the design. And sometimes you need to have a balance between, oh no, I use ING content or no, I will use a lot to input property that 
I have the control of the design. Yeah. Um, I don't think people see all that complexity when they make this this decision at first because it sounds so simple when you get started. It's like, oh, I'm just going to create the component. Like, is, is that it, right? But if you really want to use that, um, then you would have to isolate that somehow so that you could use it in other repositories. And this isolation, if you're in a mono repository, then perhaps that's going to be a lot of the pains are going to be dealt with. Um, by the way, I love Annex because of that. It's just so much easier to just have everything in a single repository. Um, of course, you, you lose in terms of, of access when you do that, right? Because every developer has access to everything. And that's not something that um, enterprises are comfortable with. Um, and also, when you have a large enough number of teams, then that also doesn't work because you literally, like the time that it takes for you to send your PR and run continuous integration, the branch that you're targeting already changed and you're going to have to to um, rebase again. So it, it, it literally doesn't work if you have too many people working on it. But um, if you have a small team and you're just using a, a monorepo, then perhaps it is easier for you to get started with your own library. So that takes care of it. If not, one approach, if you want to isolate that and use NPM to install, yeah. is to, well, you can just um, public that publish that in NPM publicly, and then everyone will be able to download it. But if you want to have private access, you can pay for um, your private libraries on NPM, or you can even use the GitHub package registry, which supports yeah. the same protocols as NPM, and you have private packages for free. So that's one way. I went to that route once when I had that multiple different repositories and I needed to share some code from them. And a lot of them were literally libraries that we needed to share, but they were just internally for the company. So we couldn't just make them publicly available. So that's one way to go. Um, but then going back to, to the original question, which is if you should use both, and I think other problems that you need to consider is um, when considering to use some UI library or some external components, I would be very careful to not import an entire library just for one or another component. I think that would be, um, I don't think, I'm not going to say that this is a bad decision because it depends on timing. So if you need things to be done really fast, um, then sure, at the end of the day, we are um, developers and our job is to actually deliver the application and to deliver value to the end users, not to try to find the absolute best, perfect way at first. Um, but I just, I found myself in so many bad situations due to such decisions like, Two or three months go by, and when you take a look at your package JSON, you have 
20 dependencies that are like for small things, right? And, and then like, why are we using, like you're importing a library that just exposes one single component, like a carousel or like, really? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think that if you go to that path, then that can be a problem. But if you import like a big uh, UI framework and then UI library, and then you you use that when you don't have time to build your components, then that should be okay. Like you can have Angular Material or or even Bootstrap. I hate that, but whatever. Um, or Nebular or Kendo UI. You can import these, but like choose one and try to use that one as much as possible so that you don't add other UI libraries. That would be my approach. Yeah, that's something that you say that is happening a lot because you have a lot of pure dependencies only for that. This is something that the people need to take care. If you create a package, try to don't require to the consumer need to install all that dependence. This is something that happens a lot. But something that you say, right, for example, the people at the beginning say, oh, I'm creating that, but they're not thinking about, for example, so something very simple, the theme. How do you theme your library? Mm -hmm. But you need to take care about that because, because if not, you need to import all the CSS and you have a bundle so bigger. Yeah. And also, people need to keep in mind the major requirements of the project, for example, team is uh, an important one. If your app needs to support multiple different teams or, or just the basic light and dark team, not every library provides those two options. So that yeah. is already something for you to consider when choosing uh, your library. But I'm going to go beyond that I'm, and I'm going to say that the best ones support what I'm about to say, but a lot of the more um, amateur, just starting out libraries don't support that, which is server-side rendering. And I get it. Like, it takes a lot of work to do. I'm not throwing shade at those libraries. If I were to start a UI library and I needed to just have all the components fast, maybe I would not prioritize server-side rendering at first. I'm like talking from a broader sense. But I care a lot about this. So I can't use a library if it doesn't support server-side rendering because it's, it's not something that you think about a lot in the beginning, but then when you actually launch your application and then you have to think about um, marketing, accessibility, SEO, performance, then there are going to be pages where you might want to render them on the server either to make them more uh, friendly to search engines to index your page or just because um, it's a page that needs to be like extremely accessible and it's like the page that 90% of your users are going to spend most of their time at that page. So you want it to be as fast as possible and you want them to be able to access that from whichever browsers they're using, if they're in their company and the firewall is preventing a lot of network requests, you want them to be able to use it nonetheless. So in such cases, if you, at some point of your application, import the things that don't support server-side renderer, 
then you're going to find yourself in in a really weird situation where you're trying to explain to other people in the company that maybe don't understand the technical uh, difficulties why uh, you can't deliver that particular part of the, the system using server-side rendering. And you probably don't want to find yourself in that position. So mm-hmm. I would I would consider... I Actually, I just exclude libraries that don't support server-side rendering just because I think this is important. But if you... If you're going to be okay with libraries that don't support server-side rendering, just be aware of the trade-offs that you're making. And maybe it's fine for your case. Just be aware of it. Let's talk about your the libraries that you have used in the past. So I'm very familiar with Angular Material just because it's the, the default library that everyone learning Angular uh, ends up using it eventually. But there are many others. Um, before we start recording, you were talking about uh, your experience with Kendo. I only know that by by name. I have um, I took a look at their website and their library, but I never really used it. So I've been curious, like, if you are gonna use a UI library, why not just stick to the status quo and use Angular Material? Well. I think that Angular Matia is a very good UI framework. Also, if you are if you don't need want to embrace the UI and the design, you have the the Angular CDK, so you can create your, your, your component only with the the behavior, but not need to fight with the, the styling. And for most of the project that you need to build, maybe application Angular Matia covers most of the other of the case, but when I take the decision, I want to move to a library like Kendo that is a, it's not free. Is when you really have a product that you need a huge amount of components that, for example, Angua Matia don't bring to you. Also the support. And for example, for another case, Angular Material. But if you are using React or are using Vue, and you have you are not have the same the same support, and that is something important. If your company are using, for example, micro frontend, and every every team needs to have using sometimes using React or whatever, it's important you have a library that provides support for uh, all the technology. And in the case of Kendo, for example, support jQuery. Keep in mind that jQuery in two thousand <laughs> in, in no days. But some projects, um, here in Barcelona, you have some companies, uh, the government, that they have some page that are in legacy. And you need to, ah, we not, we, we want to have a great interface that so you will pay for uh, Kendo and you can cover that case. But I have another uh, library, very good also in the market, but the only downside I, I saw is if you want a la- AJ Grid, for example, is another good uh, library that have some components. So from my point of view, if you want to take Angular Material or Angular CDK, this is a good option. If you want to look for something that have a huge option and support for PDF printing, that's kind of 
of situation you don't have with one gray material, so you need to pick up, for example, candle. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's not just, um, oh, I don't like the the way that angular material bottoms look like. That That's one part of it, but there's also the part about um, some libraries are just literally bigger than angular material. They have more components. They have more flexibility. Okay. Yeah, that point of flexibility is something that, for example, in my company, we are our, our, our own library. We have our own library, but they are on top of Canva UI. We have our own color brandings, that kind of stuff that they have something called a team builder that you can create your own team for the, that match with the colors. And you can extend the component, for example. And we have a set of components for the company. We're building a, a content system, but we don't have the, the UI that have Canva. So, but we are we can customize very easy, but this is something that we need to pay. I would like to have that in in, in Angular Material, but if you have, keep in mind that thing. If you are getting money for your product, pay for that. Say so you save time for the developers. But if you are doing some open source, please use something free. <laughs> gotcha, makes sense. Yeah, let's get into the the pricing for those things, like. Um, a library like Kendo, for example, how how is the payment model for that? I I don't have the the real current the current pricing. You can check out in the website, but I think that it's for domain or something like that. I I can tell you about the pricing because <laughs> I know pay for that's the company. Yeah. But um, but this is something I take care. Of. If you are in project, I don't have too much budget. So. Go take the decision. But I don't know what you think about that, Luca. When you start to create the components, you maybe you create a library as a bridge between the third-party library, Kendo, Material, or wherever. That is, is important when you create your, your own library because your library works like a bridge between Kendo, for example, or between uh, Angular Material. And it's not easy, <laughs> but you can do that. That, for example, start using Angular Material because your project is starting. But when you start to say, "Okay, no, now I need that," so you can just uh, from your library, working as like a bridge, connect with another library like Kendo or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have the same situation. It's also interesting to think about um, that as a product because we can look at that from the consumer perspective and it's like, oh, there are a lot of open source libraries out there. Why am I going to pay for that? Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a ton of value too. There's a lot of time that they, uh, that they take off from your um, product development. So looking at it from the perspective of a company Sometimes it makes sense, but there's also the the perspective of a seller of the library. Like, I don't think many developers think about the fact that they can sell libraries. It's just not that common. We we sometimes think of oh, we need to create a SaaS product, and and it needs to be like a, a um, closed source 
something running in the cloud and we charge a subscription. But there are people actually getting money just selling libraries. Um, there's a particular library that um, I've been looking at it and I'm, I'm probably going to purchase that, which is, I believe, Bool MQ. It's um, a queue that uses Redis. So you can mm-hmm. run distributed queues uh, on Node.js and you just connect to a Redis instance. So that's really useful for microservices, for example, when you have multiple containers and they all need to share the same queue to make sure that they are um, not running tasks um, twice or that they are following the order that you stipulated in the queue. If you have like priority in your queue, that all those things are being respected. So Bool MQ provides all that, but there's a pro version of this library, which is Bool MQ Pro, I believe. And it adds some other features. So, and, and it's really an interesting model if you stop to think about this. Like you can provide a lot of value with a completely open source version of the library. And then you can provide a professional or enterprise version of the library, which has more features. And if there are companies interested on that, then sure, you can actually make a living out of that. So that's really interesting, especially for developers that sometimes don't feel too comfortable with all the other parts of running a business that is not technical. It's like, since we are all developers, sometimes it's easier for us to understand the mentality of other developers. And once you actually try to build a product, you need to put yourself in the customer's shoes. And most often than not, the customers are not the developers themselves and they don't uh, see the world as we do. But there are actually products that developers can make for developers or for companies. Yeah. Uh, that are going to use it for their development process. So it's really interesting to see that there are companies actually being sustained just selling those tools. And it's something that people can consider. Yeah, because uh, like you say, now, for example, I share something with you, the EverXDB. This is a new package that I was playing with that in the last two weeks. That is amazing. That is on top of EverXDS uh, for, for creating local stores and like a uh, work like allow you create offline application easy. So I a lot of developers are creating, creating tools for developers. So I think that the, that kind of of market that you have there, like the UI library and also that library that is for RxJS, is easy to com- convince because you are facing a lot of problems and they are solving. And you because sometimes we want to deliver value, but you say, oh, how much take create the, the, the UI library or how much take uh, create a system to work offline? You need to create a lot of service, play with local storage, and, you know, it's not easy. Or connect with Sangalair and Firebase, whatever. But when you have a product that they give to you a free version and you play with that, you say, hey, that's worse, then I can play with that. A lot of people, I think, that is getting money building solution for developers. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I used to think about people spending a lot of time building libraries as like just 
um, heroes, but I was I would think of them as heroes that unfortunately were not getting paid by that. So I would think of a person that has a day job and contributes to the community after work. And that certainly exists. And I appreciate everyone that um, that helps us have the ecosystem that we have today. It's crazy the amount of things that we get for free. But that's not like the only situation possible. There's definitely ways for you to actually monetize the work that you are putting in the libraries that you're building. So it's really, really interesting. But yeah, so we talked about Kendo. We talked about um, Angular Material. Um, what else is out there? Like I have once taken a look at Nebular too. I found it really interesting. It's like the the interesting thing about Nebular is that they have a sample project. And when you first see it, you think, holy shit, like this is crazy. All the like it's a very big dashboard with a lot of charts and there are like um loading animations and a lot of things that you know take a lot of work and time to create. But I have also seen people really not liking it and saying that the support is not very responsive, that uh, it doesn't have all the features that they would expect, that the performance is not always um, top-notch. So I'm I'm not going to recommend, but I'm also not going to not recommend because I don't feel like I have enough experience with it to be able to to not recommend maybe it is a, a terrific library and i'm just uh saying things that are no longer true because i've saw that for a yeah. while ago maybe they have changed and now they are actually extremely perfect so uh, i really don't want to throw shade on, on nebular but I think it's an interesting library to take a look to and it just just looks good the components look good they look clean and yeah yeah you know. but the problem is sometimes from a feeling that i always work with angular that some some library that very good but only for react most of them or don't have support for angular that's something i say oh my god why so i say i, I don't know which ui library i say oh it looks amazing but only for uh, yeah does support for angular native okay. mm. That's something for me. Is, mm. But you have a lot of options. Also, NGSORO, this one from Angular. But for you have a lot of libraries. But I saw, for example, another, uh, the Beautify from Vue. That's something that only works in Vue and also React, but doesn't support Angular. I, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, they are, they don't like us. <laughs> but yeah, man, I, I feel that a lot. And not even libraries, like complete design tools. For example, I think it's Framer, the name of a tool that it basically competes with Figma. And I, I might be wrong, okay? Maybe it's not Framer. Maybe it's another tool and I'm um, making a confusion in the names. But there is a design tool that is a competitor of Figma and it lets you import React components. So you can actually code a React component, yeah. import it, 
onto this design tool and the designers can actually just move the component as if they were moving a regular um like the regular assets and and shapes that they can create on the system and the cool thing is that the component is actually interactive so when you render a prototype for example users can actually interact with that component so if you build a date picker and you put it into this design tool then users interacting with the prototype can actually use this date picker which is crazy uh, but yeah again react components no support yeah. for um for angular and i kind of get it because like react has a much smaller footprint when you just think of it as a component library angular like it's this complete thing that depends on a bunch of of modules and you you never see people like just using angular components and not using the rest of the ecosystem it's always the entire framework whereas react you can't use in isolation um so it, it does make sense but i would love to have a way to use those tools and i i think angular elements provides a big um bridge but i don't i think we need the tools to actually use the native technologies right because think about this like if we have uh, a specification for custom elements and you're creating a tool for example that this design tool that lets you import react react components if we have a native specification like cool you can support react components just for convenience but why not also support the web native format and then yeah. let every other library just export their components in that standard and that way everybody's talking in the same language that's something i i can understand yeah and you say for example i remember a few years ago a uh, storybook mm-hmm. they never worked well with angular now it's working more or less but three years ago i say i i love storybook to to play around my my component but for angular was like mm-hmm. Now then the, the last version was working fine, but three years ago was like why why is slow and a lot of configuration is painful, but this sometimes I can understand. I hope now with the new version of Angular from Angular fourteen that you have standalone and this kind of thing that simplify a little bit the registration of the stuff, the developers and the tooling can improve the angular ecosystem. Yeah. I hope that. <laughs> I hope so too. And just so that we we actually touch on all the points that we brought up during the introduction. Um one thing that we haven't talked too much about is which way to go if anyone actually wants to create their their own libraries. We talked briefly about where to deploy and install them. And you also, but you also mentioned before something that I think we should talk a bit more, which is the Angular CDK. So if you are building your own components, uh, your own UI library, then you don't need to actually build everything from scratch in the sense of, uh, um, I'm going to have to build 
every little thing from scratch because it needs to be exactly how my company wants the design to be. Uh, there are things that you can use that will simplify the process of, for example, um, rendering elements outside the normal flow of the application. So, for example, you need to render a model, a dialogue, or a, yeah. a tooltip or things like that. Uh, you can use the Angular CDK to help with that. There are performance helpers, for example, if you are rendering um, thousands, if not millions of elements, but you only really want to render the thing that needs to be rendered and like basically lazy render, then you can use uh, Virtual Scroll also from the Angular CDK, which improves the performance a lot. Um, of your infinite scroll. And other than that, you also have a lot of helpers for accessibility. So to create components that yeah. are going to have all the area labels that you need to make your uh, your HTML accessible. And what else, Danny? What am I missing from the, the Angular CDK in terms of where uh, you have the uh, drag and drop stuff? That is, is they have good support. Yes. Also, but something that the people under uh, don't think too much is that, that you say uh, one second ago the accessibility because when you are working, I don't know. I work for product, but I don't know which the user that playing with that. So it's not easy when you are building your own library. You have support for accessibility by default. Angular uh, CDK helped you a lot with that, when you need to create forms and that kind of stuff. Now, I think that the drag and drop, also the calendar of Angular material for me, from a view, works. They, they can improve a little bit, but that's worth fine. Also that they have, I remember right now, is the, no, the, drag, the drag and drop, but it's something that they have for you. Yeah, it's, I think it's the drag and drop or something like that. Yeah. Let me check out the website. Yeah, but these are, are very good points. I have forgotten about the, the drag and drop. And that one is in particular is extremely useful. Um there there are also like um observers that they give the you. Observer, yeah. Yeah, so you can observe um changes to the window size, for example, things like that. There are a lot of really, really interesting yeah. things. Oh, Lucas, the portal. They underestimated things. The, the you have played with Portal? In, in, yeah. This is something that people don't use too much. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It's very helpful. Now I, I check out the website. I remember that we played with that in, in previous companies. Say, oh, a Portal. And for portal. whoever is not familiar with that, Portals allow you to project your content outside of the normal flow of the HTML. So for example... Uh, you can have uh, an element that is a child of that is in your component template, but it's not rendered in as a child of your component. It's actually rendered as a direct child of the body tag, for example. So you can sit on top of everything else in the content. So you can have like a fixed uh, main menu. You can have um, a sidebar, you can have modos, dialogues, two tips, drop downs, all of those things, they use portals to be projected on top of the other elements. 
But the interesting thing is that still, if you, you're going to write your CSS the same way. It's crazy how that works. It's like, um, you're going to write your CSS normally and Angular is going to project that. And even though the element is not going to be a child of your component, all the styles that you apply to it are, are still going to be applied. It's really, really interesting how Angular does that. I, I highly recommend the, the people that if you have time, check out the, the portal because you can do amazing things and can save you jobs in some moments. Definitely, yeah. Um, Danny, we're 41 minutes so far. Um, I think we should start wrapping up so that we don't reach one hour. <laughs> but... Yeah, um, do you have I'm anything fast. in particular about this subject that you you want to bring up before we start wrapping up? Well, keep in mind that when you start creating your library, uh, please create a toolbox first. Don't don't start with the uh, design system, please, because you need to deliver. And um, sometimes it's good when you have. Keep in mind, if you really need or expect in the future, use a library. So in that case, create your own library can help you use a, like a bridge. Um, and also keep in mind that use Angular CDK because it can save you a lot of time. Definitely. Oh, by the way, I'm going to close this topic with one thought that I have, which is aligned with what you said. And I think it's, it can be a bit polemic. Uh, especially if we have uh, many designers listening, but I'm going to say it either way because I think it's true. And from my experience, it was true. I think that the design should come before code. Yes, you you should design what you're going to do before you start coding. But I do not think that the design system should come before the product design. Why? Because I believe the value of the design system is when you are isolating the repeatable patterns that you found during the design of your product. If you attempt to do the design system before you actually have your product stable, then you risk just wasting a lot of time and coming up with patterns and conventions that you should not be worrying about that at first. Oh, Lucas, but what you're saying is going to lead my company to have 20 different versions of buttons in the, in the initial version of the product. So be it. And then you're going to realize that out of these 20 different versions of buttons, um, you can create, um, you can isolate 18 of them into just two components. And then you're going to do that. And the other two variations, you can either decide to get rid of them and, and use what's in yeah. the other um, patterns, or you can keep them. Like, it, it's okay to like, oh, but these two buttons, they're not in our, our, our design system. But at the end of the day, what is more important? That the component is in your design system or that you're offering the best possible experience that the user can have in that page? If that page is the page, is like Pareto rule, right? Is the part of your system that 
um, delivers 80% of the value, is the place where 80% of the time your users are going to be there, then maybe it's worth it for you to break the design system a bit so that you can provide a better experience in that page. Maybe you want to take up less space so your bottom is smaller than in other places. Uh, maybe you want to take more place and you want to make it more attractive so it's a very different bottom. That's fine, you know? So I don't think people should have their design systems right in the version one of the product. I think that tends to be yeah. a mistake. Yeah, I, I like it, the, the last statement you say. This is very clear. I would like to hear maybe 30 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, it's good, good advice, man. Thanks. It's good that I have you here on the show. <laughs> Otherwise, I may get a lot of heat from that opinion. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so let's start wrapping up. Danny, what would you like to promote? Is there anything that um, that you are doing or any project that you would like to to share with people? No, all that. If I continue writing article about what I'm doing, that you can visit dannywalls.com. That is my blog where I share my experience, my hate, my pain with creating libraries and the kind of stuff with Angular. That's it. Nice. Okay. So dannywalls.com. Is that it? Yeah. All right. So um, where else can people follow you? Oh, I'm Twitter, uh, Danny Walls. It's the only social network I use. All right. Okay. So everyone, if you're interested in learning more from Danny, you can check out his website on dannywalls.com or also follow him on Twitter at Danny Walls. Um, I'm, I'm going to promote my company, Unvoid. So I am the founder and CEO of Unvoid. And a big differential that we have from other software um, consultancy companies is that clients here only pay for delivered tasks. So we do not charge by hour, we charge by the tasks that we actually deliver. And the price from those tasks is calculated based on their difficulty. So clients... Um, describe to us what they want to accomplish. We break it down into smaller tasks. We estimate a difficulty for each of these tasks and we calculate the price based on that. Then the client approves and then we start working and we get paid as we actually deliver the tasks that we agreed upon. So that takes away all the risk that clients have when they are trying to outsource if a task takes longer than expected, clients don't have to pay anything more from that. So there's no way in which we're ever going to, um, in which clients are ever going to pay for overtime that simply doesn't exist when you're working with us. So if that is interesting to you or to somebody that you, you know, um, check out Unvoid.com and get in contact with us while we actually have slots available for projects. Because one other really important thing that we do is we limit the amount of clients that we take simply because if we try to take too many clients, we really do not have the amount of developers to handle and, and we don't want to, to overwork anyone. So 
we have our limits. We are aware of that. So we are always working within that to make sure that our quality is within what we promise. So again, if you're interested in that, on void.com. I'm taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. So Danny, thank you so much for being on the show with us. I hope you come again. Um, you have a lot of knowledge about Angular. Again, I highly recommend everyone that is interested in learning more about the things that we talked about and just Angular in general. Um, then he talks a lot about that. He creates a lot of content and is just overall an interesting person to follow. And yeah, man, thanks for being on the show. I hope I see you here on the show again. Thank you. Have a good week, everyone. And I'll see you in the next one. <laughs>